0: Thank you once again for the warm welcome that you've given to me and to Pauline my wife as we've been here today. It's true that I don't be getting back to my own church in Dorset very much this year. In fact I'll be here more than I will be there because I am coming back. I can't remember when but for another couple of Sundays later on in the year at different times. So it will be nice to be able to renew the fellowship with you and we'll be praying for you during that time as well. I know that when you're in an interregnum type of area and period when you're you're waiting for just the right person you don't want to appoint in haste and repent at leisure you want God's calling on such a pastor coming and we will certainly as we think about Flitik and we certainly do pray for family here in this area and we'll add praying about that and other issues here too and look forward to seeing what God does over these next few months or whenever it is that he strategically says is the right time for that. You know that if you were here this morning we looked at an incredible promise of blessing that Paul prayed for a whole church in Rome that they might experience a real sense of joy and peace in their trusting and in their believing. But how do you experience that peace? And we looked into Philippians to help us to understand how that can be our experience and grasped in our lives and this evening we're turning again to Philippians to explore how that great promise can be fulfilled that we will know a joy. Let me read just a few verses from Philippians 1. We will turn to some others as we go through our time but in Philippians 1 21, we read this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. I have now been involved in Christian ministry in what some people call full-time service for 51 years. Now, I know you're looking at me and thinking, surely he can't be that old. And you smile because you're looking at me and thinking he must be that old. But during those years, I felt, particularly as I began in ministry, that something is missing from today's church. And at different times through those years, I've thought that I found what it was. I began my ministry by speaking a lot about dedication because a lot of the congregations that I was speaking to had teens and 20s in it, a lot of students. And I sought to try and encourage people to become more dedicated and committed, presenting their body a living sacrifice, allowing their minds to be renewed by the Spirit. And I saw lots and lots of people dedicating their lives to Christ very sincerely. And then I discovered at the next round of meetings, they were rededicating and then re-rededicating and then re-rededicating their lives. And there was still something that was missing. So I thought if we could get people more into being witnesses for the Lord, wouldn't that make a difference? Because after all, the two key words in the English word gospel are the first two, go with it. And Jesus said, I am with you as you are witnesses for me. So surely, if we are to sense something of the special presence of God in our lives, if we increasingly become witnesses, then that will increase that sense of coming near to God, for God to come near to us. And to be honest, I saw a lot of people becoming witnesses for the Lord. And I can look back, thankfully, to see people who have become missionaries and directors of mission organizations pastors of churches and a lot more seeking to be witnesses for the Lord and yet I still felt there is something missing here and then I thought if we saw more miracles wouldn't that be not just great but wouldn't that be something which would change things if we just saw more of the supernatural intervention of god in people's lives and i began to see at one stage some very unusual things happening which did help people to glorify god more in their lives but i still felt there's something missing now don't misunderstand me i still want to see people dedicated to the lord And I still want to see people as witnesses for the Lord. And like you, I definitely want to see miracles. Because what were we doing when we were praying just now? We were asking for the will of God in heaven to be done down here on earth. What's that if it's not a miracle? For his intervention in situations and circumstances, in lives and in countries. So we all believe in that, and yet, with all of that, I think we can miss the best. And you know what that best is? Precisely what we're going to think and talk about, and hopefully experience this evening. It is joy. We know Paul felt this way to the Galatians. He asked, what has happened to your joy? To the Thessalonians, be joyful always. Bible quizzes, as some of you will know, are fond of asking the question, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? And the answer that the books will give, oh, it's that verse in John, Jesus wept. It's not, actually. Because in the Greek, be joyful always has got less words in it than Jesus wept in the English. That's a little bit of trivial pursuit for you. But it's not a trivial pursuit for us to experience what is commanded there. That we might know joy. The most repeated command in the Bible is rejoice. When God repeats something, we should pay attention. Ask a pastor, why are you in ministry? And you will get different replies. Well, I'm in ministry because I love the Lord and I want to share him with other people, I want to help people, I want to preach his word, I want to glorify him, I feel called to it all. The best answer I think I have ever come across was given by a great thinker, theologian, and man used in spiritual awakening in America centuries ago. His name was Jonathan Edwards. And he said to help people to be happy in God. Ministry will be a duty, and at times it will become overwhelming and exhaust us if there is not a delight that we have and that we are sharing with other people. In Philippians, the word joy comes six times rejoice. Eight times share a house with someone with a cold and we know what is likely to happen we are going to get that cold now joy is an attribute of God so surely if we are sharing our lives with him and deepening our lives with him we're going to catch joy And Paul makes a statement about joy when he writes to the Corinthian church, which I think is utterly incredible, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The world finds joy in wealth, popularity and ease, but in sorrow, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and yet we also know he was a man of humor. Becoming a Christian, we become happier and sadder at the same time. We become a more extreme person. Like a new Christian said to me. He said, you know, since I've given my life to Christ and since he's received me, I don't think I have laughed so freely, but I don't think I have cried more either. You see, there is joy, but there are also tears. And why? Because we become more sensitive. And Jesus' life was marked by joy, but it's not always the case with us. The impression we may give to people is that our rich uncle died and left his vast inheritance to his pet cat. The big question is, how do we experience joy? And to the Corinthians, Paul says that he and his co-workers worked for their joy. So do you see what that's saying? It is a job of work. We are not going to be able to experience that joy in our lives and throwing through our lives unless we are willing to get employment in the work of creating and releasing and allowing that joy through our lives. And the action steps don't create our joy, they release it. You see, since Pentecost, where does Jesus live? Inside us, right there, full of joy. So the fullness of his joy is there. It's a matter of knowing how to reckon upon that, to release this Christ who is within us. Just as it was with peace, as Paul said to the Roman church. You set your mind on the Lord, and there is life and peace. And the same thing is true when it comes to this joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. So again, we're talking about something which is supernatural joy, just as it was supernatural peace. And the question we have to ask is this. What are the steps that we need to take so that we can release the joy that is in us in having Christ in us so that his virtues become fruits showing their way through our personalities in our circumstances, whatever they are. And to the Philippians, Paul focuses on four steps. Recall the gospel, revere the Lord, relate in church, resolve to obey. Now, I will give you a guarantee based on God's word, which is substantial. If we will follow through on those steps, we will not miss the joy. So let's open this up so we see what we are Meant to understand, and thus to experience. First of all, recall the gospel. Nine times Paul mentions the gospel in this small letter. For example, in one five, their partnership in the gospel. In one twenty seven, conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel take a long look at why the gospel is such good news think of the initial joy when God created the world book of Job tells you about this all the angels shouted for joy sin tragically interrupted the joy but a day came when Mary was told she would bear the Messiah and that bewildered her Because she knew she had not had a relationship with a man, but there was a little proof given to her. You check out with Elizabeth, your relative, in her old age, she is having a child. She goes to see her. And what happens with the child inside Elizabeth? John the Baptist leaped in her womb for joy. So you notice what's going on here. You have a fetus That is recognizing and registering the voice of Mary. And the spirit of God through that fetus acknowledging that Mary is there. And there's a joy in what Mary is going to find herself involved in. And reflecting on this Mary sang my spirit rejoices in God my savior. And to the shepherds the angels said when Jesus was born I bring you good news of great joy and then comes the darkness of calvary why the night before christ's death he had the passover with his special friends and we know his song psalm 118 24 was the song that they would sing this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it And it was a good day because it was a bad day for him, dying on that cross as a substitute for us. We talk about accepting Jesus. It's more important that Jesus accepts us. But how can we look into his face, smiling at us, and not smile back? Remember the story Jesus told about the lost sheep? You do remember how it goes, don't you? That ninety-nine of the sheep are safely in the fold, but there's one missing. So the shepherd goes looking for that one, and when he finds that he finds that one, he grabs hold of it, takes his mallet, and hits it around the head and says, How dare you get lost? Let this, this be a lesson to you to never get lost again. That is in your Bible, isn't it? Of course it isn't. But sometimes it's in our thinking. That that's how God is going to deal with us and we bring ourselves into a condemnation which has been dealt with because of the gospel and because of the cross. Do we feel unworthy? Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Do we feel guilty? We are in the book of life and can rejoice in the Lord always. If we had one-tenth of the joy in having God that God has in having us, I think we would explode. I am going to Warsaw a few days' time. I was there about a year ago, and the Saturday morning was clear. So Pauline and I, one or two others, went to the National (laughs) Art Gallery there in Warsaw. We strolled around various places and there were some huge works of art and you just knew to take it all in. You had to pause before it and the people who had set it all up knew that you would need to do that because there were benches there. Time and again, I would sit down on a bench and I would try to absorb this piece of work and the more I looked at it, the more I realized there was to it all and what I would say here now is this don't rush through the gospel gallery spend time reflecting regularly on what the gospel is all about to understand it to let it grip you to let it become part of you Paul knows there is a danger that we can get away from that which is why three times in the new testament he gives his story as if if i could become a christian and i could receive the gospel surely anybody could because i was thoroughly religious as he says in chapter 3 in fact not just that think about my own status and all that i've achieved and all that i am and yet i have to throw all of that away and willingly when i realize i am given the status of being right with god even though i haven't got the state because of the gospel and Paul expands on what he means when he writes to the Galatians. We are justified by faith in Christ. To let the joy of the gospel go deep, we must grasp what it means to be justified. When we justify something, facts don't change, but our attitude to those facts do change. A parent, for example, says to, their child at school now you want to walk home on your own and that's okay now but you are to be home by four in the afternoon no detours in the park to kick a ball you are to be home by four in the afternoon by five the child walks in and the parents have been frantic and saying we told you where have you been And then the child says the school fire alarm went off and we were all herded into a remote part of the school playing field and we weren't released until everything was cleared up. Now, get this, nothing has changed. That child was meant to be home at four, but is now home at five. But what has changed is the attitude of the parent. Because it's been justified. Do you get that? Justification doesn't change what has happened, but it changes the view of what has happened. And this is the heart of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, our record isn't changed, but God's view is changed. We still have sinned, but he declared us as accepted. Let's hear this. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Not out of his riches, but according to them. If a millionaire is to give you out of his riches, he could give you five pence. But according to his riches, doesn't it have to be a lot more than that? People want joy without affirming the gospel. will not get it. So mark it down. There is a job of work that we all need to do. And that is to focus and refocus and then re-refocus upon this gospel. But you can't stop there. There's a second step to release this joy. Revere the Lord. That's the beginning of chapter 2. Talking about how Jesus stepped into time so that we might step into eternity with him through all that he has achieved. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the best ways to revere him as Lord is to give him our worship. Have you ever wondered why God insists on our worship? I mean, when your children were young, did you play a little game like I did with my two young daughters? I would say, who is the smartest, most handsome, wonderful daddy in all the world? And they would look at me and smile and say, you are daddy. Now, of course, it was only a joke. Of course, it was only a joke. Because if it wasn't, and I was really thinking that, And I want them to say in that basis, am I on an ego trip? I reckon I am. So when God wants our admiration and our bowed knee, is he on an ego trip? No. We are made so that when we experience something great, we want to affirm it. It's no accident when Thomas missed out on seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead for a week. When finally he sees him, he worships the first of the disciples to worship my Lord and my God. C.S. Lewis was an atheist converted to Christianity as a professor. And he wrote a book about it, Surprised by Joy, because he didn't anticipate that, but discovered it. And yet, for him, as a young Christian, it was a stumbling block that he had to worship. I mean, the botheration of it all, going along and needing an umbrella at times, and all the notices that get given out, and all the rest of it. And he struggled until he came to understand this. All enjoyment overflows in expressions of thankfulness and gratitude. So you like a particular author, so you say to others, you ought to read this author. Or you like a certain kind of music and you say, listen to this kind of music. Or someone plays sport really well and we become a fan of that team or of that player. And so Lewis said, praise is joy made audible. We praise what we value. Do we know why it's good to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? It gets my attention off me. You see, thinking too much about me is not a healthy attitude. Depression has gone up 1,000 times since the Second World War in England. It's because we fill our minds with ourselves. Worship in a church, when we're confessing and bowing the knee to Jesus as our Lord, even at times making it a sacrifice of praise, as the New Testament says, that's getting my attention off of me. But I have a grumbler in me. I have what Paul calls, to use his word in this letter, a gooseman, a grumbler. I love getting my tongue round that Greek word, but I don't like my tongue spelling it out of ingratitude and grumbling. And when I worship, problems lose their power. Our world is different because God is in charge and we start to sense that all the more. Be getting our focus away from ourselves and therefore getting a more realistic view. Of this world and where it's going. Sometimes people will say to me. I don't get anything out of the worship. And one of my questions is. Do you put anything into it? Stop looking at others. And become preoccupied with Christ. Joy is our present possession. When Christ is our constant obsession. And Paul said. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. I will say it again, rejoice, double command. So I'm sinning doubly if I'm not rejoicing right now. But don't misunderstand, at a funeral, when someone says, oh, you mustn't cry because of Philippians 4.4, I'm uncomfortable when Christians try to prove their maturity by what we used to call in this country, the stiff upper lip. And not being honest about the situation, but the other extreme is own your anger. There's no denial in that approach, but there's also no hope. Philippians 4.4 4 decries both approaches because it wants us to get a bigger perspective. Philippians 1 gives the context for talking about joy and commanding it. This man is in prison. He doesn't know about his future. But he knows that people are taking advantage of the fact that he is not free to think, well, he's out of the way now. I can have a preaching ministry instead of him. I can get a name and a reputation. At least they were preaching the gospel. And he's able to say, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. He didn't gloss over the wrongness. That wasn't a good attitude that they had. But he got it into the bigger perspective. Paul uses two tiny Greek words, tisgar. Which in our way of talking is no big deal. Tisgar. So what? What does it matter? Maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up and you go to work and the battery on your car's flat, you say to yourself, tisgar. No big deal. When something goes wrong in what you're doing, Tisgar, what big deal is this when you get the eternal perspective on it all? In 2.17, Paul provides another illustration. Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul didn't deny reality, but he didn't drown in self-pity. Benjamin Weir came to understand that, 16 months as a hostage in Beirut, not seeing the light of day, not allowed to read anything, unsure as to whether he would have the next day. He wrote about that experience later. One of the things he said was this, I began to realize there were two different ways to regard the passage of time. One was to regret each day as freedom lost. 24 hours of my life spent without profit. This was true. Went on to say I missed deeply my wife and family. But I realized that surviving required a different approach So each day he would reflect and recite to himself as many of the psalms that he knew. And he would even invent and create new psalms. He would go through Old Testament people, going through their story, seeing himself, understanding how he would react and act in this situation or that. He went through Jesus' life and he traced where he went remembering places that he had been at where Jesus had been before him he noted the many of Paul's obstacles that he had and how he handled those objects he filled his time reflecting upon those and then he said i returned again and again to romans 8:28 in everything god works for good with those who love him who are called according to his purposes. This assurance was the foundation for my grip on sanity and hope. He discovered Paul's formula. Be saddened by disappointment, but focus on the praiseworthy. Find in every situation, no matter how distressing something is, that which you can praise God for. Every tongue will confess him as Lord one day, which, by the way, will include Mohammeds. And by the way, will include Buddhas. Every tongue will confess him as Lord, not as saviour, but as Lord. So start now. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control our outlook. There's a reflection which leads to resentment or rejoicing. Paul intentionally chose the latter so they could chain his feet, but they couldn't chain his mind. And we go through a lot in life we would never choose. That nothing we go through can keep us from choosing joy. Focus on the gospel. The good news of what has been achieved for us because Jesus stepped into time to be our savior. But also on our Lord and confess him as Lord. And one of the great ways we can do that is to engage in worship toward him. Nothing can be compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And when we've got that down, we're ready for the next step. Okay, here it is. Relate in church. There were relationships in this church. The body of God's people. Which were not how they should be. That's going to take away the joy. Of course it will. We know that. I mean hands have been known to punch teeth. And teeth have been known to bite hands. But when you've got it on the same body. You have got problems. And this was happening in this church. Particularly with a couple of ladies. Who were quite key in the church. Euodia and Sintichi. I love the way somebody has punned on this. odious and touchy. It's exactly what they were. They'd come and they'd worship the Lord, but they'd not talk to one another. Paul must have had great faith in somebody to say, look, come alongside them to get them to agree in the Lord. Let them disagree about lots of other things, but at least there are some things they should be able to agree in the Lord about. A vicar was having relational problems in his church. And on his way home from a church members meeting, he was so frustrated, he kicked a can, a drink can, in the gutter. And a genie came out. It's one of those stories, you know. And the genie said, thank you for releasing me after all of these years. I can give you one wish, because I'm only a junior genie. So what one wish would you like? And as the, you understand, story goes... He said, my wish is that you will end all war everywhere in the world. And the genie said, look, I did tell you I am just a junior. That is a massive thing to actually do. Can you not bring it down a bit for me? Well, could you end the fighting in my church? And there was a pause. And then the genie said, could we go back to your first wish? let's get real our unity is not based on perfect agreement wherever you have a group of people always perfectly in agreement you have a cult agreement is a choice we can have an opinion and that opinion can differ from somebody else's opinion the only problem is when we become opinionated about our opinions and when we become an opinionated, we're more concerned about our grasp of truth than the truth we've got to grasp of. We can never have harmony without humility. And what breaks harmony is doing things, as Paul says, from selfish ambition or vain conceit. That wasn't the attitude of Jesus, and it doesn't have to be our attitude. The church had a relationship with Paul as well. And he wanted there to be an ongoing joy in that relationship. Epaphroditus has been sent because they knew he had problems. But then in being sent to look after the needs of Paul, Epaphroditus ended up problems and he was close to death. So Paul said, I don't want that as a sorrow. I'd like you to go home. But he can't just send him home. He's been sent by the church. So he needs to say, look, here's a covering letter. I want them to realize I'm sending you home for your good, but you've been great and good for me. Concerned about relationships. In chapter four ten, Paul rejoices greatly that they had that concern. So now what is he doing? He's wanting to update them on what has been happening. Sometimes we miss joy because we're our own worst enemies. How are you? Fine. But our heart is breaking. I know we can't share with everybody because we can't trust everybody. But there should be some significant others that we can so that we bear those burdens together. We need to give people the opportunity to help us. It's okay to have a burden. How can someone help carry the burden if you haven't got a burden in the first place? And it's a win-win situation. There is a joy in helping them as well as a joy in them being helped because the relationships in the body are just how they should be. And remember, Jesus had close friends he could share with. He wasn't a loner. Remember, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. What is Jesus' joy? Why was Jesus on earth? Isaiah gives you the answer. He was the suffering servant. What was the result of his suffering? What is the only thing Jesus did not have in heaven before he stepped on planet earth? Us. The only thing he didn't have... Was us. And there was a joy in knowing he was doing everything. So that he could have relationships with us in the future. In a new earth and a new heaven. More brothers and sisters to share it. Get a big view of salvation. Not just for me. It's for him and for his joy. There even on the cross in that suffering. Was that anticipation of what would be. Joy in knowing one another. As we relate To one another. Maybe that's an area we need to work at as well. And there's just one more area and step which will release that joy. Resolve to obey. There is joy in obedience. Paul knows the Philippians have always obeyed. So he adds, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. Notice that work it out if i was to say to you you're going to have to work out your own problem it assumes you've got one in the first place so to work out your salvation assumes you've got it in the first place it's a gift of grace from our lord but what's internal needs to come out needs working on to come out through our trust and our obedience in what he is saying to us the inner devotion needs the outer commotion of activity in partnering together with him in all that he is about we needn't fear losing our salvation that's everlasting it's everlasting life god gives me 10 years life i can't live nine god gives me everlasting life i can't live less but i could and should fear disappointing him of not maximizing the reward that will be mine throughout eternity and the glorious truth is we are not left to our own resources because it is he who is at work in us both to work and to will to his good purposes so let's press on and take hold of all that he has for us let's forget what's behind the successes as well as the failures let's win the prize Set before us, there is no condemnation for those identified with Christ, but there will be commendation, and the way we get there is by becoming doers of His Word. Is the Holy Spirit pointing out to us that joy is missing? How do we experience that joy? Look. We've seen it. Here are the steps. Recall the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get round it. Don't get over it. Stay focused upon it. Revere the Lord. Bow our knee and use our tongue in worship of him. Relate in church. Giving and receiving in those relationships and resolve to obey whatever we have learned, received or heard. Put into practice, let's say it and mean it. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Why? Because that will mean more of Christ. Whatever I'm known of him now, there's going to be more then. The best is always yet to be the joy in knowing the reality of that. Let's be God exalting, Christ admiring, holy Spirit-filled, joy-filled magnets for God. Don't miss. The joy. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the priority that your word gives to joy. And this evening we've seen it needs to be a priority for us. Thank you that what you command is like a promise because you would never ask of us anything that you don't equip and enable us to be able to follow through. So there's no commands for us, only promises. And thank you for the provision that you have made, the steps which will lead to it. I pray that every one of us will be able to go from this place with that joy, that supernatural joy, that will be our strength. And to your glory. Amen.